So tonight, as I said, we're looking at the Feast of Weeks in Leviticus 23, verses 15 to 22, which is what I just read for you. And it is the celebration of the larger harvest, or a larger harvest, after having celebrated the Feast of First Fruits, which is recorded for us in the section just prior to what I read. Leviticus 23, verses 9 to 14. And... Fifty days after that Feast of First Fruits is when the Feast of Weeks happens. The Feast of First Fruits marks the beginning of the harvest and, and literally the first of the harvest. And then the Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the larger harvest. There is a beautiful commandment of God embedded in the instructions about the Feast of Weeks. Perhaps you caught it as we read it's in verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. This shows us something of the kindness and the benevolence of God, doesn't it? You might wonder, though, why it's included at this juncture amidst the instructions of the, about the Feast of Weeks. And Matthew Henry says that, quote, probably it comes in here as a thing which the priests must take occasion to remind the people of when they brought their first fruits, intimating to them that to obey even in this small matter was better than sacrifice, and that unless they were obedient, their offerings should not be accepted. It also taught them that the joy of harvest should express itself in charity to the poor who must have their due out of what we have, as well as God His. In other words, God would have the priests remind the ordinary Israelites that the punctilious, the careful keeping of the ceremonial law, while neglecting the moral law, is nothing but a superficial kind of religion which God abhors. So you keep all the feasts very, very carefully, but you don't love your neighbor as yourself. God's not really impressed with that kind of religion. The pietistic aspects of the faith must always be attached to the practical outworkings of the faith with respect to our fellow man. If we are to find our religion honoring and acceptable to God. This is an aspect of the Feast of Words. Feast of Weeks worth mentioning in passing. But that's a relatively minor point with respect to this passage. There's lots in here about the specific offerings that were to be offered, but as we've been doing with the other feasts, we're just going to skip over that tonight because we've already looked at the various types of feasts in much greater detail at an earlier section of our study of the Old Covenant. What we want to do is we want to understand the theological significance of the various feasts. And to understand the theological significance of the Feast of Weeks itself, we must recall what the significance of the Feast of First Fruits was. That feast which happened 50 days prior. So, by way of reminder, the Feast of First Fruits, which happened 50 days prior to the Feast of Weeks every year, the Feast of First Fruits foreshadows. Christ Jesus Himself, risen from the dead, who is the first fruits of those who are to be raised 
from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 states it explicitly. Paul's been talking about if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 23, he says it again, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So clearly, God wants us to think of the resurrection of the people of God as a harvest of which Christ was the first fruits. Christ's resurrection was a foretaste and a harbinger of a greater, larger harvest to come. More resurrections to come. Just as that first sheaf of wheat, which would be offered up to God on the occasion of the Feast of First Fruits, was not itself the totality of the harvest, but it was a foretaste and a, and a signifier that there's a larger harvest coming. So the Feast of First Fruits most certainly did prefigure and foreshadow Christ's resurrection from the dead. Though the, admittedly, the Israelites who received Leviticus 23 in their day and age would not surely have understood all of that. But that became clear in hindsight as so much of, of Scripture does and did. There was so much light shone on the fuller meaning of the Old Testament prophecies and Scriptures when Christ Jesus rose from, his dead, rose from the dead and poured out His Spirit at Pentecost. You see, even on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus walked with the two men, said He opened up their minds to understand the Scriptures. And so there were things in the Scriptures that people didn't grasp until much later. And this is one. But it did become clear in hindsight that the Feast of First Fruits foreshadowed and signified Christ's resurrection as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep since Christ rose on the day of the Feast of First Fruits. It was the day after the Sabbath of the first Passover. Or pardon me, the, the first day after... Let me get this right. <laughs> get it all mixed up. It was... The day after the first Sabbath, after the Passover, any given year. So there was the, the Passover, the year that Jesus was crucified. There was the Sabbath, which was the Saturday. And then Jesus rose on the Sunday, which was the day of the Feast of the first fruits in that particular year. And then Paul uses that very terminology. First fruits to talk about Christ's resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And so it's beyond doubt from our vantage point looking back with 1 Corinthians 15 in mind with the resurrection of Christ happening on the day of the Feast of First Fruits in mind is beyond doubt that the Feast of First Fruits did prefigure and foreshadow Christ's resurrection. Regardless of what day of the week the feast fell on in Old Testament times. However, as I argued last week, it seems most likely that the Feast of First Fruits was intended to be the Sunday after the Passover each year, which would make the Feast of Weeks the seventh Sunday after that, 
year in and year out. So the average Old Covenant person would observe the offering of the first fruits to God on the Sunday after Passover, and then seven Sundays later, they would observe the Feast of Weeks, by which time a much larger harvest had come in. So first fruits, and then the celebration of the larger harvest, year in and year out. As I said last week, such symbolism could have rendered the early church almost, almost prescient, or prescient. When Christ arose on the day of the Feast of Firstfruits, giving them the ability to put two and two together, that if the pattern throughout the Old Testament age was firstfruits and then a larger harvest, firstfruits and then a larger harvest, and then Jesus rises on the day of the Feast of the Firstfruits, they could have put two and two together and infer that something significant, something pertaining to a larger harvest, was going to happen on that Pentecost Sunday, on that Feast of Weeks Sunday, seven Sundays later. And indeed, that year that Christ rose on the day of the Feast of First Fruits, about 3,000 souls were added on the occasion of the Feast of Weeks. According to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. This is the theological significance of the Feast of Weeks. The larger harvest that came after the Feast of First Fruits, marked and celebrated by the Feast of Weeks, prefigured the many more that would be given, that would be resurrected, pardon me, after Jesus was given new life. The very concept of first fruits implies a larger harvest to come. Therefore, if it is the case that Jesus is the first fruits, then more people will rise from the dead. The Feast of the First Fruits teaches us then that Jesus' resurrection isn't to be understood as an isolated, unique event in which a solitary man rose from the dead. Rather, it is to be understood as a prototype and a pattern of many more resurrections to come. Now, someone might reasonably raise an obvious objection at this point. The people who were converted on Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks in Acts chapter 2, were not dead. So therefore, they weren't resurrected. So Jesus could not possibly be a firstfruits of which they were the larger harvest. A simplistic answer might be to say, well, they were dead in their trespasses and sin. <laughs> but that doesn't really address the core of the objection. After all, the core of the objection is that if we are arguing that Jesus' body being dead and then coming back to life was the first fruits, then it is only fair to expect that the larger harvest will be a group of people whose bodies are also dead and yet come back to life. To answer this objection adequately, we must first concede what 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 teaches about the timing of the resurrection of believers. Let me read that. It says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So admittedly, it is only at his coming that those who belong to Christ will experience the resurrection of their bodies. Strictly speaking, therefore, we must grant, we have to concede, that there is not a strict literal correspondence between the resurrection of Jesus and the conversion of 3,000 people 50 days later on the Feast of Weeks that year that Jesus rose from the dead. But the very nature of imagery and symbolism allows for some flexibility with respect to the sign and the thing signified. And, and even between the things, one thing signified and another thing signified. Imagery and symbolism is by definition not exact correspondence and not exactly literal. After all, Jesus is not, strictly speaking, a sheaf of wheat. Nor is the death and resurrection of Jesus exactly the same as ours anyway. Is it? Even when we rise from the dead. After all, Jesus died not for his own sin, but for the sins of the world as a vicarious substitute. He rose as the victorious conqueror of death and hell. When we rise, we must not claim such things for ourselves. I have overcome death and hell for all who will trust in me and my death and resurrection for them. Now, that's blasphemy right there. So we are beneficiaries of Christ's work and not little saviors whose death and resurrections are exactly the same as Jesus anyway. So there doesn't have to be exact correspondence in order, in order for imagery and symbolism to be powerful. There just has to be enough correspondence to make sense of the imagery and the symbolism employed. And in the case of Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of those who belong to Christ, there is enough correspondence. Jesus rose as the first fruits, and we will rise as a larger harvest after him, and with the same sort of body with which he was raised. Surely there is enough correspondence to affirm that imagery and that symbolism foreshadowed and signified by the Feast of Firstfruits and the Feast of Weeks 50 days later. We can understand that 50 days after Jesus rose, sinners indeed dead in trespasses and sins were spiritually raised and that their bodies are now sure to be raised at the second coming of Christ. Since as Romans chapter 8 and verse 10 puts it, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Pentecost was this day of spiritual resurrection and it was a day of the outpouring upon these people who had been spiritually raised from the dead, the spirit of he who raised Christ from the dead. 
And so, these people who were spiritually raised and who were given the Holy Spirit who Himself raised Christ from the dead, these people are the larger harvest which follows Christ's resurrection as the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So there is enough correspondence between what the Bible teaches us about Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of believers to see Christ's resurrection as the fulfilling of the symbolism of the Feast of Firstfruits and to see the resurrection of believers as the fulfilling of the symbolism of the Feast of Weeks. Christ rose as the first fruits, and we are the larger harvest. There's enough correspondence to understand this, even if it's not a strictly literal correspondence. <laughs> Here's the big thing you should take away from our study of tonight's passage. The Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is spiritually resurrecting men and women and boys and girls now and coming to indwell them now and will one day at Christ's coming raise even their bodies. That there is resurrection coming, a large harvest coming because of Christ, the first fruits. Again, Romans 8.10, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So whoever has the Spirit of God will one day come out of their grave to eternal blessedness. And right now, right now in history, God is making dead people live and giving to them His Holy Spirit. And so there is a harvest being gathered in right now of whom Christ is the first fruits. Now there is an order and there is a timing. As we already acknowledged in Acts chapter 2 no one came bodily back to life from the dead. And we're not seeing that day by day as we, as we go work our jobs and send our little kids to school. We're not seeing people literally coming out of the grave. I have to drive past Coral Ridge every, every time I make my way to church. And I have never seen anybody come back from the dead. Does that mean that God is, is not working right now? No. It does not mean that. There is an order and there is a timing. As 1 Corinthians 15 said, Christ the firstfruits and then at His coming, those who have fallen asleep in Him. Right? So there is an order. There is a timing. There is, it is the Holy Spirit who does it. Who makes dead men live? The Holy Spirit. Not me. Not you. This is like the valley of dry bones where God sends Ezekiel out to view all these skeletons. <laughs> and he says, Son of man, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel gives a wise answer. You know what he says? Oh Lord, you know. <laughs> right? He doesn't say yes. Right? Because he knows that if the Lord's like, well, make it happen, he knows that he can't do nothing. Right? But he's not, so, he's not so doubting of God's wisdom and power to say, no, they can't live. Ezekiel is not a naturalist. He's a supernaturalist who says, oh Lord, you know. Right? 
Ezekiel does not make those dry bones live. You realize that? But I'm going to weave this point that I just made to you that it is the Spirit who does it. I'm going to weave that together with another important thing for us to understand that we may and we ought to be instruments of the Spirit's work in this world. Because you know what God says to Ezekiel? Prophesy to these bones. Preach to these skeletons, Ezekiel. And as Ezekiel preaches, there was a sound, a rattling sound. And the bones came together and God put flesh on them and brought them to life. Ezekiel was instrumental. But it was God's work. And likewise, here and now, as we carry out our lives, as we go to work, as we send our kids to school, as we mingle with our friends and with our family, God is in the business of making dead people live. God is in the business of making those who are blind to the glory of God in the face of Christ see it to shine light on them. God is in the business of pouring out His Spirit upon those people. And everyone who receives the Spirit of God and that spiritual resurrection can be sure, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 10, that one day their bodies will come out of the grave too. God is doing that. God is bringing that harvest in. God, by His Spirit, is gathering this harvest. But we are commanded to prophesy to the bones. We are commanded to speak to these dead men. We are commanded to tell them that Jesus is the first fruits, And that as Jesus rose, they may rise also. And as we go with this message, the Holy Spirit makes dead men live. This is the symbolism of the feast of the first fruits. That Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Pentecost was the, was the beginning. It was, it was symbolically, it's not the whole number of the harvest. But it was, it was symbolic of this larger harvest that is coming because of what Christ has done. Nobody was bodily, raised bodily in Acts chapter 2, but they were raised spiritually and they were given the Holy Spirit. And Romans tells us that if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then He will also give life to your mortal bodies. And so what happened in Acts 2 is representative of what God is doing more broadly in the world, even down to the present day. And right now in Barbados, God is causing blind people to see. God is causing lost people to be found. God is causing dead people, spiritually dead people, to be made spiritually alive. And He's pouring out upon them His Spirit. And one day, everyone who receives the Spirit of God will find that their bodies are also raised. So there is Christ the first fruits, and then there is a larger harvest. There is the feast of first fruits. Then there is the Feast of Weeks. This is the theological significance of the Feast of Weeks.